Here it is. From deep inside your radio. It's the new one, it's the old one, it's the new one, it's the old one. What are you going to do? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, from New Orleans, have I ever been happier in my life to say that than today? No, never. Um, and apropos, I'm going to take you back. I know we're Americans, most of us, except for the folks listening on Soho Radio. Line. Hello, Soho Radio. But, um, you know, we, we don't really like to be bothered with this history stuff, this history guff. But um, 10 years ago, you could have found a lot of people who said they witnessed all sorts of unbelievably horrible things in the Superdome and in the convention center in New Orleans at the time of the flood. And um, those stories were amplified and nationalized when the police chief and the mayor of this city went on Oprah's show and repeated some of them. So you couldn't get more authoritative than that, except that by October of that year, several news organizations had uh, done some reporting and found out that uh, to the best of their ability to report, none of these events had actually happened. No babies were raped, etc. I I bring that up. I, I bother you with history only because there's a, a current parallel. And, and apropos, it's my second apropos of the day, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. The, um, the conventional wisdom in the legal profession nowadays is that short of confessions generated from a, uh, an accused under torture, there is no less reliable evidence than eyewitness evidence, eyewitness testimony. Give me your DNA, give me your fingerprints, give me your paper and, and cell phone tracking first before you introduce eyewitness at testimony. So now we're here. Now we're here. Forget the history now. Oh, oh, that's over. We're back now, the eternal now of America. And uh, this week, Donald Trump earned some more uh, ink and some more airtime for being ridiculous one more time, insisting against the testimony against the reporting of news organizations, news organizations, what are you going to believe them? That insisting that thousands of Muslims in New Jersey celebrated the fall of the World Trade Center towers on 9-11, despite the fact checking, or maybe because of it, because if you if you insist despite and because because you are aroused by the fact checking to say, no, 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 it's true. Then you get even more, then you get the media people even matter, and you get more airtime. Um, and his uh, question on Meet the Press, one of the Sunday Act shows, this morning, he said, "I've I've talked to I I got calls from hundreds of people who've see who saw that, or who heard rumors about it, and in the mists of memory, now believe they saw it because that's what happened." In New Orleans, the the question he was not asked, which seems to have faded into insignificance, with all this, is uh, you if you saw the clip, you saw him uh, at this rally in South Carolina. This is Donald Trump I'm talking about. Damn me for talking about Donald Trump, but there it is. Um, you saw him sort of 
mockingly quoting the Washington Post reporter, now with the New York Times, who had written the original story saying that uh, authorities were questioning a, a, a few people because there were rumors that some number of people had celebrated. Rumors which turned out to be nothing but rumors, much like the rumors in New Orleans, which still have a life of their own. But when he was quoting the reporter who covered Trump during the 90s, when the reporter was at the New York Daily News, and the reporter has a congenital joint disease which makes arm movement difficult, Trump suddenly launched into a jerky set of arm movements. And the original news stories about this event were that he had mocked a physically disabled person, which Trump furiously did. I would never do that. He's never been asked about it again. Why, of all the moments in that speech, did you launch into weird kind of spasmodic arm movements at that particular point when you were quoting that particular reporter? Nutty coincidence, but I happen to know from sources inside the Trump organization that there is a good explanation for that. He'd just gotten his suit back from the dry cleaners, and at that point in the rally, his sweat had aroused the chiggers in both sleeves. Hello, welcome to the show.
from New Orleans, Louisiana, right here on the Miss, right where the Mississippi quits, about where it quits. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not just the bees, it's the butterflies. We're, we're going after them all. Neonicotinoid pesticides may be linked to declining butterfly populations, according to scientists. Findings from the first scientific study to suggest that neonics may have a negative effect on British butterfly populations were published this week. The study conducted by universities of Stirling and Sussex in partnership with butterfly conservation. The study found population trends of 15 butterfly species. They got that many butterflies? We don't need that many butterflies. Showed declines associated with neonicotinoid use, including the small tortoiseshell butterfly, the small skipper, and other species. You probably have mental pictures of all of them right now, or you're Googling, or you're not. Findings were based on data gathered by volunteers from more than 1,000 sites across the U.K. as part of a long-running U.K. Butterfly Monitoring Scheme, or UKBMS. That doesn't help at all, those initials. They don't spell out anything. Uh, booms. Researcher Anne Gilburn, who led the study, said that it suggested that the strength of the effect that neonics may be having on many species, quote, could be huge, unquote. And she spells it with an H. That's old school. And I spell school with an H. That's old school. Findings from the study are neonicotinoid insecticides driving declines of widespread butterflies. That's the question. That's the title of the study. Were published in a uh, peer-reviewed journal. In England, the overall population level of bu butterflies on monitored farmland sites declined by 58% between 2000 and 2009. That decline occurred despite conservation spending over there, more than doubling during the same period. Well, that worked. So it's not just the bees. Wait till the moths hear about this. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Took the trumpeters a moment to get their lips moving. They're embouchure. News of the Olympic movement, I say. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. And now they're all blowing well. Dayline Sao Paulo, Brazilian police investigating corruption around the state-run oil firm Petrobras plan to probe more than $10 billion of construction contracts for the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. As according to the lead investigator, some of the big engineering firms caught up in the Petrobras probe, quote, very probably, unquote, broke laws against price fixing and bribery on the contracts to build Olympic venues. That's according to the federal police chief and key figure in the investigation. Igor Romario. In every situation where there's been investigation into contracts with these companies, this model of corruption was repeated, he told Reuters in a telephone interview. It's possible it was repeated in the projects for the Olympics. So far, though, he said there's no evidence proving any crimes around Olympic bidding. The probe has already ensnared dozens of Brazil's business elite and congressmen and could pressure could put pressure on a tight Olympic construction schedule. Uh-oh. About of about two dozen companies investigated by the Comptroller General's office, five are building most of the nearly $10 billion worth of venues and infrastructure needed for the Rio Olympics. 
privately held Odebrecht, Latin America's largest engineering firm, that's a Latin American name, is involved in over half of all Olympic projects by value, according to contracts reviewed by Reuters. Marcello Odebrecht, it is a Brazilian name, the company's chief executive, has been jailed since June awaiting trial for corruption in the Petrobras case. But that doesn't have, couldn't possibly, why, how? Deadline Rio, a government watchdog, said this week that flaws in Brazil's border security are a, quote, big concern, unquote, leading toward the Olympics in Rio next year. Augusto Nardes, a government auditor, said police and military need better ways to control the country's 10,500-mile-long border, which touches 10 countries and runs through remote areas of the Amazon jungle. Quote, we're aware we have seven months to correct the problem, he said. However, Public Security Secretary Regina Miki dismissed the concerns. The Olympics in Rio will be held in total security, she said. But a former bodyguard for the president and since 2013 managing Brazil's security for special events said the Paris attacks did not change Olympic security planning. Brazil is now a reference in big events. We have know-how, he said. However, independent security consultant Paulo Storani disagreed. Quote, Brazil's public security plan for the Olympics is a total improvisation. That's what he told the Associated Press. There are no deadlines for things to happen. It's hard to know who is responsible for what, unquote. You know, responsibility is over, overvalued. But wait, there is more. More news of the Olympic movement. Dateline Griffith Park. Hey, that's in Los Angeles. Hello, KCSN, L.A. Northridge. The park's community advisor, that's the biggest park in Los Angeles. It's in the uh, hills east of Hollywood. That park's community advisory board is strongly opposed to its potential use as a venue for bicycle motocross, BMX, and off-road bicycling events. Those proposals are in the L.A. bid for the 2024 Olympic Games. The board consists of 11 local advisors to the city on issues related to the park. They sent a letter a few days ago to the committee working to secure the bid for the Summer Games. The letter detailed a list of concerns, including objection to incorrect information in the committee's L.A. Olympic bid book. That's a coffee table tome, I would think. Currently proposed by the committee are BMX, a competitive bicycle sport with a track, and off-road bicycling typically done on rough terrain or trails in Griffith Park. However, the advisory board has indicated both activities are illegal in Griffith Park and in all Los Angeles municipal parks. There's an oops. Quote, the proposed off-road staging of BMX... Oh, illegal schmiegel. It's the Olympics. Quote, the proposed off-road staging of BMX and off-road bicycling violate city statutes and will damage the delicate ecosystem of the park. That's what the letter said. Ecosystem schmiegelmissen. Further, the letter asks that the committee correct its bid document, which incorrectly states the impacts of building the infrastructure for BMX and off-road bicycling would be, quote, negligible because they would replace an existing velodrome in Griffith Park. 
There is no velodrome in Griffith Park, nor has there ever been one, according to the letter. I, I, I have tweets from hundreds of people who've seen the velodrome in Griffith Park. The bid document also indicates that Griffith Park features numerous trails utilized for hiking and biking, but the letter says biking on all trails in Griffith Park is illegal. So any suggestion that it routinely occurs is also inaccurate. The letter urges the bid committee to seek other locations for such possible Olympic activities. Um, the mayor's house? Uh, Universal? And to have the bid document corrected of misinformation. Quote, the 2024 Olympics bid, a Los Angeles Olympic bid is sloppy, possibly fraudulent, and beneath the dignity of our great city, said the letter. Beneath the dignity of Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen. That right there is an Olympic event. Dignity diving. The Olympics. Oh, it's... Come on. Illegal? Delicate ecosystem? It's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Thank you, boys. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of bad banks. They... They really do learn their lessons. You find them a bunch of money, and they really do clean up their act. Don't you think? No. A substantial fine, $150 million, levied against Barclays Bank by the New York State Department of Financial Services, did not... Well, that's the fine that's been levied now for a new set of infractions after Barclays was fined $2.3 billion for manipulating the key benchmark used by pension funds around the world, a benchmark in foreign exchange, currency foreign exchange. So, says the Australian website, The Conversation, traders have found new ways to defraud clients in banks. That $2.3 billion, did it serve as a deterrent? It did not. In uh, the days before this new... Uh, procedure was developed, traders colluded with one another in internet chat rooms to um, defraud clients by rejecting their perfectly good stop-loss orders. That's an order to uh, sell the stock before it goes any lower, the stock or any, or any investment before it goes any lower. In the latest development, Barclays traders used computers to do the uh, servicing. They programmed the computers to look at a, a stop-loss order. If it would incur a loss for Barclays, then it was not executed, to the detriment, supposedly, of the client to whom Barclays owes a fiduciary responsibility. And it was not just stop-loss orders. In, a, uh, in an additional procedure named Last Look, Tom? I believe that was called Last Look. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sitting in, man. My pleasure. You're a pleasure. Barclays computers would hold up trades for a few milliseconds. Tom? And if the foreign exchange rates moved against Barclays in that instant, 
The computer would reject them and send them back to the client as a NAC, N-A-C-K, which means not acknowledged. Trades that benefited Barclays were act just fine. In emails regarding this particular procedure, the rejected client trades were referred to as toxic. Toxic, presumably, to Barclays. The email chain, again, caught the wrongdoers when customers complained about the huge number of trades being rejected. Barclays staff first stonewalled and then lied. Staff were told by management under no circumstances were they to explain to customers how Tom, last look, last look actually worked. They were told to say the trades were rejected because of latency. You mean latency? That's what I mean. That's uh, become the gold currency of high-frequency trading. Computers, of course, as you know, trade billions of dollars with each other every day with little human intervention. And latency is a millisecond of delay in the computers executing those trades. In 2013, almost one-third of all trades on the Australian Stock Exchange were conducted between computers or among computers with no human interaction. I hope they're having a good time, the computers. You should. It's fun. It's fun doing that. Bad banks, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, those fines, oh, they hurt. Those, those wrists, they don't heal for days. And now? Here it is! Well, yes, that's a treat for all of us. But now... We've got the More evidence, ladies and gentlemen, that something's going on with the fracking thing. Dateline Palo Pinto County, Texas. 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 Top state oil and gas officials have said repeatedly there's no credible link between fracking and groundwater contamination. Yet an investigation by WFAA Television in Dallas-Fort Worth reveals the state's own records reflect a significant concern about a water well explosion in Palo Pinto County last year. And now a neighboring water well is so contaminated with fracking-related chemicals, the state says it poses a potential threat of explosion. Fairway Resources fracked an oil and gas well just a few hundred yards from a house in the summer of 2013. In December of that year, the family, the Singletons in that house, said their well water started to smell like rotten eggs and fumes filled their home. Then their water began to burn their skin. State inspectors came out to run tests. The TV station obtained documents related to the investigation. Those tests found excessive levels of methane in their water, but also chlorides and benzene, which is a... It causes cancer, yeah. I've, I've heard hundreds of people say it doesn't. Oil and gas regulators with the Texas Railroad Commission, that's who regulates oil and gas in Texas, the Railroad Commission... What, what are you looking at? Issued a report saying that the well water contained chemicals that may pose adverse health effects and an explosion hazard. The state's recommendation on how to solve it, venture well and consider consider installing a well water aeration system, you know, to blow air into the well, to dilute the toxic chemicals. The state suggested the contamination could be due to a natural occurrence in the groundwater. There were no baseline tests to prove the chemicals had existed previously. But then um, the well water 
started turning, quote, completely brown. Now it has the odor, but it's full of dirt. Three months later, another more serious event occurred involving a neighbor a few hundred yards away, a water well house, a well house, little, I guess the building above the well, filled with methane and did explode, severely burning three family members. A published study by a group of University of Texas scientists infers a link between water well contamination and fracking in the Barnett Shale, one of the largest and most productive natural gas fields in the United States. It's why we have energy independent. Uh, University of Texas scientists tested water samples throughout the Barnett Shale earlier this year. They released their findings, which they say showed elevated levels of 19 different chemical compounds, including our three friends benzene, toluene, and xylene. Hello, hello, hello. Based on these results, that's the singing eens. Based on these results, something has gone horribly wrong here. That's the quote from Dr. Zachariah L. Hildenbrand, one of the scientists reviewing the data on those wells. Wells are not well. What the frack. And, uh, you know, some aeration. Some aeration would always help. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Award-winning. I don't even remember when that happened, but I can still say it, can't I? Soft listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Because of human-caused global warming and a strong El Nino Earth's weather this year is bursting the annual heat record, according to a report released by the World Meteorological Organization, an agency of the UN. I know hundreds of people who don't even trust the UN. The period of time from 2011 to 2013, sorry, 2015 is the hottest five-year period ever recorded, according to the agency. It's the hottest, 2015 is the hottest year on record already, surpassing last year's record heat. Proclamation was made without waiting for the end of the year because it's been so extraordinarily hot and it's forecast to stay that way and unlikely to cool down enough to not set the record. Scientists at the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration here in the United States already were saying that 2015 would likely be the hottest. The UN agency, NOAA, NASA, and Japan's weather agency all say 2014 is the current record hot year. I would call it certain, says NOAA's chief climate scientist, Deke Arndt, that uh, it's going to be a record-breaking year. The period of time, according to the new UN agency report, period of time from 2011 to 2015 is now the warmest five-year period on record, the warmest five years for every continent but Africa. I think it off the hook. The data all suggests the greenhouse gases released into the atmosphere by human activity are likely the, quote, dominant cause of these long-term warming trends according to the World Meteorological Association. Organization, sorry. They're not an association. They don't associate. They organize. Planet Earth did experience a global climate shift, apparently, in the late 1980s on an unprecedented scale, fueled by anthropogenic warming as well warming as well as a volcanic eruption. That's according to new research published this week. Scientists say a major step change or regime shift. Hey, regime shift. Isn't that what we had in, in the Earth's biophysical systems from the upper atmosphere to the depths of the ocean and from the Antarctic to the Antarctic uh, was centered around 1987. It was sparked by the El Chichon volcanic eruption in Mexico five years earlier. The study published in Global Change Biology documents a range of associated events caused by the shift. 
They include a 60% increase in winter river flow into the Baltic Sea and a 400% increase in the average duration of wildfires in the western United States. It also suggests climate change may not be a gradual process, but one subject to sudden increases, with the 1980 shift representing the largest in an estimated millennium. Or so, we demonstrate based on 72 long-time series that a major change took place in the world centered on 1987 that involved a step change and moved to a new regime in a wide range of Earth systems, said the leader of the study. Our work contradicts the perceived view that major volcanic eruptions just lead to a cooling of the world. Yes, you've heard that. You know, all the crap that comes out of the volcano keeps the sunlight from... In the case of the regime shift, he says the author of this study, it looks as if global warming has reached a tipping point where the cooling that follows such eruptions rebounds with a rapid rise in temperature in a very short time. The speed of this change has had a pronounced effect, pronounced effect, on many biological, physical, and chemical systems throughout the world, especially in the northern temperate zone. That's us and the Arctic. That's the Eskimos. This is kind of goodish news by comparison. After a decade of rapid growth in global CO2 emissions, increasing at an average annual rate of 4%, much smaller increases were registered in 2012, 0.8%, 2013, 1.5%, and 2014, half a%. In 2014, when emissions growth was almost at a standstill, the world's economy continued to grow by 3%. So this is an encouraging signal on the decoupling of CO2 emissions from global economic growth. This is from the Economic European Commission Joint Research Center. It's still too early, they say, to confirm a positive global trend because of places like India. But the decoupling of economic growth from CO2 emissions is a slight Slight good sign. There are giant, mysterious holes emerging in Siberia, according to Al Jazeera. Some as deep as 200 meters, however deep that is. Scientists say the craters may be emerging because the frozen ground or permafrost that covers much of Siberia has been thawing due to climate change. That allows methane gases trapped underground to build up and explode. More methane explosions. Methane's exploding all over the world. Permafrost is ground that is permanently frozen, except it's not now anymore. Covers about a quarter of the northern hemisphere's land surface. When it thaws, microbes digest the plant and animal remains that were locked in the permafrost, releasing carbon dioxide and methane into the atmosphere. The phenomenon is a self-feeding cycle. It's about twice as much carbon in the permafrost as in the atmosphere. Now, as it thaws in a warming climate, the soil decomposes, releasing carbon to the atmosphere as CO2 and methane. They warm the earth even more. This leads to more permafrost thawing. You get the picture. And a new study from the University of Exeter in the journal Ecology Letters, mail for you, found that phytoplankton can rapidly evolve tolerance to elevated water temperatures. They absorb as much carbon dioxide as tropical rainforests, And so understanding the way they respond to a warming climate is critical. It took only 45 days or 100 generations (laughs) of phytoplankton for them to evolve tolerance to temperatures in the water expected by the end of the century. Along with that tolerance came an increase in the efficiency with which they were able to convert carbon dioxide into new biomass. So I, for one, welcome our new phytoplankton overlords. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast uh, this is uh, in the post-Thanksgiving weekend, of course, really 
start of the Christmas holiday season, there are going to be charity Christmas songs, as there have been for the past few years. Uh, and I've noticed as they've come along that uh, they've been characterized by a, a certain uh, style of singing, uh, which it might be characterized as uh, overly exuberant, perhaps. Um, so as a, a preemptive measure against them, I'm presenting here, right now, right here, right now, the world debut of my answer to such songs. It's called Too Many Notes. Featuring Jane Lynch, Alice Russell, Ian Shaw, and New Orleans' own Devel Crawford. Dave Cause on sax. No such thing as 
This is the show from New Orleans, and now, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Hanford vitrification plant, you know, in Washington, where we were making the, the nukes until we stopped, uh, the contractor there, Bechtel, has been slow to spot problems with items it purchases for the huge plant and has not been aggressive enough about recovering the costs, according to a new audit by the Inspector General of the Department of Energy. Bechtel did not identify piping for high-level radio waste that had to bend 90 degrees off from specifications until more than nine years after it was delivered. Uh, Bechtel recovered only 29000 of the 138000 cost of rework for duct support wells, at the high-level waste facility. Well, that ain't nothing. DOE officials told the inspector general they're encouraged that all findings in the audit had been previously identified by either the department or Bechtel, but the IG countered it took the audit to point out the magnitude of the issue. There are uh, new concerns about the fraud and mismanagement that has bedeviled the 14-year effort to rebuild Afghanistan, according to the special uh, inspector general for that. It's cost the United States $1 trillion, including $110 billion in aid, aimed at rebuilding one of the poorest, most violent, and most corrupt countries on earth. Afghanistan relies on foreign aid. But John Topko, the inspector general, said the government is partly to blame for the misused funds. I'm identifying not just Afghan or Afghan-related problems. There are problems with the way the United States government operates. He says the Pentagon and the Agency for International Development suffer from corruption as well as poor planning, oversight, and accountability. He said they often fail to coordinate with each other on measures or measure programs effectiveness. 
Use of the inspectors general leading us into attack. Use of attack. The Taliban's on the rise. Corruption plagues Afghanistan's government. Fueled by the illicit narcotics trade that funds insurgency now more than ever before, many senior leadership positions in Kabul remain vacant, according to U.S. News. The uh, new government of Ashraf Ghani, more favored by the U.S. than the old Hamid Karzai government, has still failed because of political infighting to uh, have an attorney general or a defense minister appointed and approved by the parliament. The Washington Post reported this week on... Uh, if you notice, a lot of the refugees that are coming into Europe are not from Syria at all. They're from Iraq. What's wrong there? And Afghanistan. And uh, the Washington Post followed some of those Afghani, uh, Afghan refugees to um, the end of the line for them, which was one of the most northernmost one of the northernmost points in Europe, a small town in Finland, because they'd been, just been shuffled along by countries and, uh, until they reached small towns in Finland. There is some anti-refugee sentiment now in Finland. A report by an independent monitoring agency cited incremental changes in fighting corruption in Afghanistan, but faulted the Ghani government for not filling those key cabinet posts. Integrity Watch also criticized the Afghan government over findings of a survey showing the government has fallen short in being transparent with how it spends public money. Local citizens are fearful of crumbling security nationwide. And there are now reports that IS is uh, moving into Afghanistan and uh, trying to peel away Taliban fighters to join IS. There is a great, great division in the uh, insurgency, apparently, because uh, some Taliban fighters reject the entreaties of IS, saying that they're like al-Qaeda, which came into Afghanistan before, um, led by Arabs as opposed to Afghans. And uh, some some of those in the Taliban suspect that this is just another, another Pakistani plot. Yeah, it's an interesting scene over there. Uh, that's how it sounds from here. How does it sound from there? From there. From Afghanistan Public Radio, bringing driveway moments to people without driveways. From the abandoned American broadcasting truck in the center of Kabul, the city that never sleeps thanks to the explosions. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're Brick and Brack, the Still Here Brothers. Welcome to Karzai Talk. One more time. Today's program comes to you with the aid of Afghan Airlines, now with surge pricing. Mm. Much cheaper to fly here. Then away from here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only search that works around here. <laughs> and we're still not in the reruns. We eh? we are not, my dear brother, and for a very good reason. Ooh, the Taliban burned the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish our engineers forgot to roll the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> but but they had a good excuse. Oh, which was? They forgot to buy the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd like to blow those guys up. Oh, the Taliban did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my dear brother. Mm -hmm. So we're now passing the first anniversary of the presidency of your esteemed successor. Yes, and you know why we call him my successor? Uh, why is that? It's the only way you can use his name and the word success in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this would mean one year of the new administration has passed mm-hmm. without an attorney general or a defense minister. Well, in fairness, mm. you don't really need them unless you are fighting crime and a couple of wars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, and uh, that Kabul bank scandal you were scared of because you had uh, some stock in the bank? Yes, it seems to have petered out. I think you mean it got Mahmooded out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't like to blow my own horn, mm. but uh, frankly, I don't know what else to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> hello, you're on Cars I Talk. Uh, hello, I'm Nabibullah, mm-hmm. a long-time insurgent fighter, uh, first-time caller. Well, we don't get many insurgent fighters calling it welcome. Back. I, I'm sure they keep encountering busy signals, but with the high volume of calls we probably get. Uh, no, it's easy to get through, but uh, usually insurgents don't uh, carry credit cards, and uh, your show charges people to be callers. Well, listen, it's better than a year-round pledge drive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is, well, yeah. is. So, what can a lowly former president do for a mighty insurgent? Hmm? Well, thanks for the sarcasm. Oh, if you think that's bad, you should try borrowing money from this guy. (laughs) (laughs) If you think that's bad, you should try getting this guy to pay you back. (laughs) Go ahead, caller. Uh, We could do this all day. We did. That's how we got the gig. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So I've been with the Taliban for uh, quite a while now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember the IED bombing at Kandahar Airport? Sure. That was one of mine. Uh, But now I'm being recruited by uh, this uh, so-called Islamic State outfit. Recruited, eh? Uh What are they offering you? Uh, A large screen TV, Mm -hmm. a 4G phone, Mm -hmm. uh, good seats to the big beheadings they're planning, stuff like that. Well, of course, to me, it doesn't compare with the benefits of living in a free market democracy. Uh Even one without an attorney general and defense minister. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what are the Taliban offering you in response? Uh, Not really offering uh, Mm. so much as warning me. Uh, You know, these people are Arabs. Mm. Uh, They took over once before. We are Afghans. Uh, We fight our own battles. I'm not so sure about that last one. Has either side offered you a late-model Toyota Tundra tricked out like a Pasha's pagoda? How will you stop selling? If I stop selling, you stop eating. (laughs) Is that true? Uh, uh, No, transporters pretty much catch as can, Mm. uh, hijack a truck, Mm -hmm. find a Humvee the Americans have abandoned, uh, you know, the usual. Well, we're not supposed to talk about uh, tribal loyalties on public radio. No, it cuts into fundraising. Uh, But uh, let me put it this way. Which group do you find more compatible? with you I, I don't know I'm I am a simple bomb maker I just want to be left alone to do my work mm. well I don't know that much about making bombs but the large screen TVs I can tell you this if it doesn't have 4k it will be in the trash in a couple of years or just as soon as we go digital <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the call I, I thought we went digital during My last term? Oh, my dear brother, during your last term, even our computers were analog. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, you're on cars, I talk. Uh, uh, Hello, I am Nokrvad, a first-time refugee from Afghanistan, Mm. uh, first-time caller, Mm -hmm. uh, first-time 
using the name Norvad. Yeah, I was going to say it didn't sound Pashtun. Mm, maybe he doesn't look Pashtun. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't uh, say No, that. it's a Finnish name. Ah. Uh, they gave it to me when I crossed the border from Sweden. Oh, well, congratulations. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Hmm? What are you congratulating him for? He got his name at the finish line. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, how is life in Finland? Well, I've been settled in a very small town. Mm, how small? Uh, well, the anti-refugee protesters uh, just throw pebbles at me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're supposed to do the joke. <laughs> First time I've heard of it. <laughs> uh, so let me violate our format and ask you, dear Carl, a question uh -huh. with all the... Uh, Progress being made under the new all-party Afghan government under the leadership of my glorious successor. No, no, no. Save the sarcasm. He's calling long distance. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Nokrvad, uh -huh. did you leave your homeland? It must have been an arduous trip to Finland. Oh, it was. I went through Turkmenistan, mm -hmm. Azerbaijan, mm -hmm. Armenia, Turkey, mm -hmm. then across in a terrible little boat to Bulgaria, yes. then across Romania to Poland mm -hmm. and through the Baltics. Oh, that sounds like the itinerary my brother has to take to visit his money. <laughs> That's <laughs> not true. And uh, so was all that worth it? Uh, well, I guess I had just gotten fed up with the uh, corruption. Ooh. That's strange. We kind of liked it. <laughs> I, I know, but uh, when I tried to, to uh, report uh, a corrupt policeman, mm -hmm. the uh, officer at the uh, desk wouldn't tell the, take my report until I paid him 200 Afghanis mm -hmm. also. There are no opportunities for work there. Oh, well, there are if you're a bomb maker. <laughs> well, <laughs> well yes. I must say, I do discern some signs of increased economic opportunity here. You do? Oh, yes. Last year, the price for taking a corruption report was just 75 Afghanis. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. We had support this week from the Afghan Women's Fund, giving burkas to women who need them, even if they don't know it yet. Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Newcomb. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. Join us again for another edition of Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. American Airlines is sorry. You bet. Oh, I mean, seriously. They've apologized. They're not just sorry. They're, they've apologized for the experience of a passenger. That doesn't really narrow it down sufficiently yet, does it? It could apply to... It's a passenger who claims he was at first told to get off a flight because he's overweight and was only able to stay on the plane after he begged the crew to reconsider. An Orange County man, well that explains it, in California, said he's angry over he was treated on the flight because of his weight. He was told to deplane after the passenger next to him complained. An elderly petite woman. She was not particularly happy, got up and left and went toward the front of the aircraft soon after he says a crew member ordered him off the plane. He says the airline didn't offer a solution like moving seats. 
those seats are heavy. Oh, I see what you mean, changing seats. And that he was only told to get off the plane. After begging the employee to ask the woman who had complained to switch seats, she agreed and he was able to reboard. The worst part was being, is that, uh, was being treated as if I was some sort of criminal. Not only a criminal, but a fat criminal. <laughs> he used the word fat. I guess it's safe then. American Airlines apologized for the passenger's experience. We always aim to give all, all of our customers the best possible travel experience. And we fell short of that while trying to accommodate another passenger. We're investigating what happened both on board and afterwards in our follow-up to ensure similar circumstances are handled better in the future. Better is good. You notice how advertisers are using the word better as a noun now? That sucks. Fashion designers KTZ have apologized to the great Inuit great-granddaughter of a shaman whose design they copied. This is in Canada. Salome Awa said the sweater being sold by KTZ for over $900 was a copy of her ancestor's sacred parka. The garment was being sold at stores in Canada. She uh, said the apology she received by email was bittersweet. I'm kind of happy about it, but sad at the same time. They didn't even mention an apology to my great-grandfather, and they didn't even offer any money to our family. I want to know how they got the design, how they obtained the exact replica, and I want to know why they didn't ask our family. Did they think we did not exist? KTZ said the apology is a very small UK-based company. We sincerely apologize to you and anyone else who felt offended by our work. We've already removed the item from sale online and will continue to remove the item in question from our stores. It's part of our DNA to celebrate multiculturalism. I'd get a, a DNA transplant. Dayline Farrell, Pennsylvania, Thomas Burke was set to take over the chief's job of the new Farrell Police Department in January. He resigned the job before starting it this week in the wake of a controversy over his use of the word N-word, the N-word in an email from earlier this year. City leaders asked Burke to resign and he agreed. He declined to comment when asked why he was in Oh, sorry. Uh, Burke gave a public apology after he admitted to using a variant of the N-word in an email. A variant. To everybody here, to everybody out there, my deepest, I cannot tell you from the bottom of my heart. I'm truly sorry. I apologize deeply. He also apologized for his lack of judgment when the initial email was sent. And director Alex Proyas and Lionsgate, the studio behind Gods of Egypt, have come out and apologized after the film's casting prompted online outcries. The fantasy epic... We don't have enough fantasy epics, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Where are all the new fan? They came under fire after placing white actors in the roles of gods and mortals who set off on an adventure in ancient Egypt. The process of casting a movie has many complicated variables, but it is clear that our casting choices should have been more diverse, the uh, director, Alex Proyas, said in a statement. I sincerely apologize to those who were offended by the decisions we made. The studio itself came out with even stronger words in its own apology. We recognize it's our responsibility to help ensure that casting decisions reflect the diversity and culture of the time periods portrayed. In this instance, we failed to live up to our own standards of sensitivity and diversity, for which we sincerely apologize, said Lionsgate. But, you know, there were big-name actors. Gerard Butler, Brenton Thwaites, and Nikolai Koster-Voldau. So you can understand why they made that decision. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. I don't, ladies and gentlemen, like to, apropos of Hollywood, talk about my own projects until they eventuate. But I am beginning work on uh, the Tim Cook biopic, the uh, biopic of the the new head of Apple since Steve Jobs passed away. Um, And it's it's a heartwarming story. uh, One of the first projects he was involved in as a young person was the design of a a pop-up toaster, which could only uh, 
pop-up, toast and pop-up, one slice of bread at a time. But it was gorgeously thin. Not even in theaters. Gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin on Soho Radio in London. Around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archive whenever you want at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast through wwno.org, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, and tunein.com. And it'd be just like paying the Inuits for the design. If you would agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much, uh huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson, the world famous Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get some Cars I Talk t-shirts for the whole family. All of it at harryshare.com. And come join the conversation. It's a virtual conversation. With me, at the Harry Shearer, on Twitter. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions, and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change Is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.